Well, good morning, you wonderful people. How's everyone doing? All right, good. We're waking up. My name is Ryan Alexander, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Hosanna. And I'm greeting people at both of our campuses, Lakeville, Shakopee, and I'm greeting everyone online as well. And I want to say a special welcome to any guests who are with us. We're always honored that you're here, and uh, we want to know how we can support you and serve you in any way with a radical hospitality that God's Word calls us to. Let's uh, bring the ushers forward to receive our first offering today. Did he say first offering today? How many are we going to have? Six, seven, no, just two. This is a special weekend uh, at Hosanna. Uh, This is the regular offering that we're receiving right now, our regular tithes and offerings, which is the lifeblood for our ministries here. It makes everything that happens here possible under our Multiply vision. So thank you for your faithful regular giving. This weekend, we are taking a super special offering, an above and beyond offering, above and beyond our regular giving, above and beyond ourselves, to go to two organizations that are fighting two major injustices in the world today. Every dollar of this special offering later will go to Feed My Starving Children and Trafficking Justice. And uh, we're really excited to be a part of what God is doing to combat those two injustices in our world today. And it's called The Big Give Before the Big Game, right? Speaking of big games, how we doing? How we doing? We doing all right? But it was a big bummer, wasn't it? We do offer grief counseling here at Hosanna. Uh, in, in all seriousness, it was, it was disappointing, right? I was disappointed for you, lifelong Vikings. I was disappointed for myself because I put my heart out there. You know, I felt like God was saying you can have a childhood team and a hometown team. And I had these high hopes and they just got crushed. I was telling someone about this. They said, Now you know what it's like to be a Vikings fan, right? (laughs) And apparently another thing you're supposed to say he told me is is that there's always next year, all right? There's always next year. I've been a sports fan my whole life. I haven't lived in Minnesota my whole life. I'm getting a sense for this, but but I I finally realized a couple things about sports. It took me about 40 years to get these uh, these two insights. One is, no matter how much I cheer, no matter what I wear, no matter where I sit, no matter what, I can't control the outcome of the game, (laughs) Does anyone realize that? I mean, some of you are still learning it because last week I talked to a few of you. You said, okay, we're having the same people over. They're going to sit in the same place as the weekend before. One guy said, I'm wearing the same outfit. I'm even, I haven't washed anything. He goes, I'm even wearing the same underwear. <laughs> TMI, okay? Raise your hand if that was you. No, don't. Uh, so, so we can't really control the outcome of the game. The other thing I'm, I'm realizing, it took me a while to get here, is that uh, as fun as it is to cheer for sports teams, it can be a good diversion and pastime. Uh, it's not where we find the ultimate meaning and purpose in life, right? Amen. And thank God because there are lots of ups and downs <laughs> with, with football and sports, which makes perf- this perfect timing to kick off this new series that we're starting this weekend. Are you ready for it? It's called Hope and Heartbeat, Jesus' Game Plan for Changing the World. <laughs> Sounds epic, doesn't it? It is, and that's by, that's by design, this epic title, because although there was a petition out to cancel the Super Bowl next weekend, it's still happening here, right? Maybe not quite as epic as we thought it might be, but it's still happening. And this is an epic event, the biggest event in the world every year. Over a million people will be watching this game next weekend. Epic, big, right? And it'll be big here in the Twin Cities still. Lots of energy and excitement. But isn't it true that weeks, certainly months later, All that buzz, all that energy starts to fade. And and some of the plays and the activities and the halftime show and the commercials, it's all forgotten. 
And even, even the game plans, the game plans that coaches work tirelessly and meticulously on to, to make it possible for their team to win, which only one team can, I'm still not sure I'm gonna cheer for. Are you feeling the same way? Maybe a tie. But, but those game plans will be forgotten. But in this series, the game plan we're talking about in this series, uh, it, it never gets old. It, 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 no matter how much you, know, you get into it. In fact, the more you get into it, the more the passion for it grows. You wanna know where real meaning and real purpose comes from in life? This game plan that Jesus wants to show us, that's where real meaning and purpose comes from for our lives. And, and, and here's the thing about this game plan. You don't have to just be a spectator in this one. <laughs> You're invited to be a part of the game, to be, get into the game and, and even be a part of influencing the outcome, right, with this game plan that we're gonna talk about in this series. So do you wanna hear about the game plan? All right, was, was that it? <laughs> see, you next, see you next week. Do you wanna hear about the game plan? All right, I heard you in Shakopee too. Okay, so here we go. Luke chapter four, if you have your Bibles, we are a Bible-bringing, Bible-reading, Bible-believing culture here at Hosanna, amen? And so uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke four. If you don't, uh, that's fine. We would love to get you one. You can grab one off the carts on the way out and you can keep that Bible. If you have one of those Bibles, it's on page 617, Luke chapter four. I wanna set the scene here just a little bit. Where are we in Jesus' life? Right, this is where this event takes place in Jesus' life is about a year and a half into his ministry, his public ministry. What happens before that? For 30 years, he lives in relative obscurity. Born in Bethlehem, then his family has to go to Egypt and they spend some time there as refugees in Egypt and then they come back to Nazareth where Jesus is raised, this town of Nazareth. Nazareth was a village, okay, about... 150 to 30 people in Nazareth. Did any of you grow up in a small town? All right, so what's true about a a small town? Everybody knows you. Everybody knows everything about you. The whole village kind of helps raise you and feels like they own you, right? (laughs) This is a small town experience. So Jesus is raised there learning the tenets of Judaism and, and he's learning the trade of his father, which was someone who worked with his hands. Think construction worker, right? And then after those 30 years of being raised, relative obscurity, he comes out of that obscurity and he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. And and in this baptism experience, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and and the father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The spirit immediately leads him into the wilderness where he's tested for 40 days, overcomes that, comes out even stronger after these 40 days. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to speak and teach and perform miracles all over the region. And he's, he's developed kind of a following, quite a following actually. And it's at this point that he comes back to his hometown. The hometown boy is coming home. It's like a homecoming here. That Jesus is coming back. Got it? Here we go. Verse, verse 16. So when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual. Everyone say as usual. So Jesus went to church every week, we should too. There we go, okay. To the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now let's stop here for a second and talk about the fact that Jesus went back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he went right to the synagogue. Why? The synagogue was the center of not only religious life, but all of life in first century Jewish culture. All of life, everyone met there. A group of us from from Hosanna went to Israel and we saw a replica of this synagogue in a replica village, Nazareth village. And I'll I'll show you a picture of it here in a second because it wasn't very big. There we go. It wasn't very big. 
about 40 by 60 feet in dimension, 150 to 300 people could fit in there. Why? Because that's how many people lived in the village. Right? They wanted to get everyone in there. Because not only did they have worship services there, they had, uh, they had town meetings, they had educational experiences. That was the one place. They didn't have lots of options. The one place. And unlike our lives that are kind of compartmentalized now, they, they, their lives were integrated. And, and so faith and life, it all just came together. And this was at the center. So Jesus goes right there to the center to communicate his game plan for changing the world. Because it's out of that synagogue and the center of, of, of life there in first century Judaism that, that the ripples would flow from there. Okay? So there, there he is in the synagogue. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. This, I want to stop here because I think we have the mindset in our modern mindset that, that Jesus and the people in his day had a Bible. They, they didn't have the Bible as we know it today. I mean, the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. Jesus was living what would be written about in the New Testament and his followers even. So they didn't have the Bible as we know it today. The printing press hadn't even been invented yet and wouldn't for 1,500 years and so scribes had to meticulously copy scrolls. And if synagogues, synagogues were lucky, they would have the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then maybe some other scrolls from the prophets maybe. And apparently the synagogue in Nazareth had a, a scroll of Isaiah the prophet. You may remember him if you were here in December. We talked, he shall be called this series. Remember this? It was, it was out of the, uh, the book of Isaiah. And so Jesus is going to read out off of this scroll from Isaiah, the prophet who is predicting the coming Messiah. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Kind of like you are now. You can picture this scene. It's almost like Jesus stands up, gives this reading, this message, sits down, drop, drops the mic like boom. Right? But there's more going on here. It was very common for rabbis in those days to stand when they were reading the scripture and then sit down as they expounded on the scripture and taught on it. And, and everything that Jesus had just read from the book of Isaiah, or the prophet, the scroll of Isaiah, I should say. And actually there are two, two verses here that are brought together common practice by rabbis called the string of pearls. They would string some pearls of scripture together almost like they were one and that's what Jesus has done here. But everything that he's read, it's not the first time people who are sitting in that synagogue, it's probably packed, have heard this before. They've heard this. I mean, they only have so many scrolls and they just read them again and again and again and, 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 and everyone sitting there listening would have known exactly what Jesus was reading about, referring to. He was, he was referring to and reading about the coming Messiah from the anointed one that he reads about to, to this year of the Lord's favor, which was this messianic uh, year of jubilee where, where sins would be forgiven forever. They, they knew exactly. This was not revolutionary what they had just heard. What they're about to hear, though, is. Verse 21, then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Little kid who used to run around the village? 
learning how to use a hammer? What? We, we, we can't miss this because this would have been revolutionary to the people who are listening to this. It wasn't just there's a Messiah coming someday, a, a Savior coming someday. Jesus says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. He's come today. That Savior you've been waiting for for centuries, for hundreds of years, you're looking at him. I'm him. <laughs> Not me, but Jesus is saying that, right? And this is earth shattering. This is revolutionary. This changes everything. And their initial response is very positive. There's excitement. I mean, you can kind of imagine this, right? He's come. The Savior, the Messiah has come. Where? To our hometown. He comes from our hometown even. He's a hometown boy. And they start to, they start, and maybe, maybe their hearts are getting ahead of their heads here, but they start to celebrate. They start to throw a party, maybe like a Super Bowl party. Like he's, we won the, I mean, he could have come anywhere, but he's come out of Nazareth. He's our boy, Right? Super Bowl party time. We won the lottery. We won the bid to host the Super Bowl. Here, you, can you imagine what this is going to do for Nazareth? I mean, it's going to like put us on the map. It's going to cause us to have some major economic revenue generated here. They're starting to celebrate. He's, they're claiming him as their hometown boy. Like some people are starting to claim Tom Brady because he melted a couple cows down south here. All right. It was grandma's farm. then everything changes. They're, they're ready. I mean, they are ready to just throw this exclusive, and I emphasize exclusive party, and then Jesus goes on to tell two stories. One about the prophet Elijah, who, he, who um, performs a miracle. There's a famine in the land, performs a miracle for a Phoenician widow and her son who would have died without the food that Elijah provides for them, would have died. And then a sec, he, he refers to a second miracle where the prophet Elisha uh, performs a healing for a Syrian general named Naaman. These two individuals who receive miracles, and they're, they're, they're very different. Socioeconomic uh, categories and, and power structure, they're different. But they have one thing in common. They're foreigners. They're outsiders. They, they come from outside the boundaries or the sidelines of the Jewish people, and this changes the mood and the attitudes of the people immensely here. Look at verse 28. When they heard this, Jesus telling these stories from the past, the people in the synagogue were furious, jumping up. They mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. Uh, Nazareth was built on a precipice. I've actually seen it. It would not be a a, a fun fall. (laughs) They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Don't you kind of wonder what that looks like or what that looked like for him to just slide out of there, sneak out of there? I have some thoughts on that, but I'll I'll wait to share those later. But for now, I just want to highlight the shift that took place from, yes, let's throw a party for for us, Nazareth. We win. We're the winners. Jesus tells a story and says, you know, it's not just for you. It's for them, too. And everything shifts to the point where they want to push them off a cliff. (laughs) they They are turned off in a second, even ticked off. When Jesus starts to talk about it, not just being about them, but about, about them, people out there. And it still happens today. Our people are excited. They're ready to throw parties. You know, and it, it, Jesus is like, yeah, it's about us. And everything shifts sometimes for people when, when we hear, oh, no, it's not just about us. 
It's about them. People outside the bounds, people outside. It's about them. That is where one of the ways I hear it most often is, I come to church to be fed. That's good. Better not end there. Because Jesus says, I, I don't just want to feed you. I want you to feed people. You see it? I want you to feed people. But when people start to hear that message, yeah, I don't know. They're like ready to push Jesus out of their lives. They're ready to you know, get out of there as fast as they can. But Jesus is the game plan. He says, yeah, it's about you, but it is about so much more than you. And Jesus brings this message and the crowd is the mob. Like that word mob is ready to run him off a cliff. But you know what? Jesus isn't just trying to please crowds. That's what he's about. He doesn't want to just please crowds. He wants to please his father in heaven. And he wants to carry out the game plan that God has given him to change the world. And he can't get caught up in, you know, crowd pleasing. Right? And, and, and that crowd in Nazareth, they run him off. He goes, oh, I'll just find more people. I'll just find other people who, who want to play, who want to be on the team. And then from there in the New Testament, we see Jesus doing that. He's like, okay, come on, let's huddle up. Let's huddle up. People who are ready to follow him, men and women, let's, come on, huddle up. And I'm gonna tell you the game plan. I'm gonna tell you the plays. I'm gonna show you how to play them. Jesus doesn't just talk. He walks the talk. But then he said, I'm gonna show you how it's done. And then, and then you're gonna get in the game. And you're, you're gonna carry out this game plan. You're gonna play the game plan to change the world. So what is the game plan? There are lots of ways we could talk about it. Lots of ways. But the way we, we uh, are talking about it here, the way we're describing it here in our vision is, is this way, to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. To multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus. To bring the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus to people who need to know that hope and hear his heartbeat. Well, who, who are those people? To who, who are they? <laughs> Them. Well, Jesus tells us who they are in Luke 4. The, the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. That's who they are. That's them, okay? Well, let's unpack a couple of those words, especially that word poor, because that one gets all sideways on us. A lot of debate and drama, and, and uh, it's politicized, the poor, the issue of the poor. And, and let, hear this, when... When anything gets politicized, people get dehumanized. You know that? We, we start talking about issues instead of real people. And as, the followers, uh, as followers of Jesus, we should not be caught up in drama around this issue. We should be diving into what, is it, what does Jesus mean when he says, bring, serve the poor. Bring, bring this good news to the poor. The word poor, it's helpful to understand what this word means. Uh, it means what we think it means, which is uh, people who are lacking materially, uh, the word that's used in this passage, but it also means people who are lacking anything, people who are lacking anything emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, people who are lacking anything, that's what poor means. So this debate and drama within the church, you know, are we supposed to serve people who are spiritually poor or physically you know, lacking? You know the answer to that? Yes. It's a both and. And anytime we get caught up in one or the other or we emphasize one more than the other, we've missed the heartbeat of Jesus on this one. It's both. You know, this word also means powerless, poor, helpless or powerless to achieve an end on their own. It's where we get the part of our vision to empower the powerless. The other word that I want to unpack briefly, well, no, I should say this about poor. It can also mean beggar, beggar, that word poor. 
And then the word that, that uh, is translated oppressed in this passage, it can also mean broken, brokenhearted, fragile. So knowing that about these words, we can, we can recreate this list. It says the same thing, but it might help us remember. Who are we, who are we called to go to? The, the beggars, the bound, the blind, and the broken, the brokenhearted. These are the people, God, see, God loves everybody. He does, he loves, he loves everybody. He has a special place in his heart for people who make this list. Yeah, he, 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 he does, and it's not new with Jesus. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Justice and mercy and, and doing justice and, and having mercy for the widows and the orphans and the foreigners. We see uh, this is God's heartbeat for people in these categories. And, and I, I was also thinking about it this way, that why does he have a special place in his heart for these people? Because if they don't, they don't have a champion. And God, God's saying, I'm gonna be their champion and my people are going to be their champion to help them out of their circumstances and to help them rise. We are called to be champions for the championless. I wanna want introduce you to one of these champions uh, who I've come to know. She works here at Hosanna and she has gotten involved kind of leading the charge in one of these areas, not just here at Hosanna, but in the Twin Cities for human trafficking. And so I wanna bring up Adri Carlson right now. Would you give her a hand as she makes her way up? Hi, Adri. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We know, I know uh, what you do here, and, um, but it's kind of behind the scenes, so not everybody knows who you are and what you do here. So you, can you introduce yourself in that way? Yeah. I work in our kingdom expansion department on the global side of our operations. So if you go on an international mission trip, if you support any of our international missionaries or ministry partners, I'm your girl. Sounds like you're important. That's good. I do things. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love so much of what you do in that area, but, but for this message, I would love to hear you talk about um, how you were a part of starting this organization called Trafficking Justice. I know it was birthed out of Hosanna, but has now become kind of an independent partner of Hosanna. Tell us that story. Yeah, so I was asked by Hosanna to start an anti-human trafficking ministry. So I started by holding a bunch of prayer meetings and informational meetings just trying to figure out what in the world to do. So our little group spent months just learning about this very complicated issue called human trafficking. We discovered that when we were ready to make an impact, we all wanted to do different things. We had some people that were very passionate about prevention, others were very passionate about restoration of the victims, and I was the only one who wanted to do intervention. So, Trafficking Justice became the Human Resources Department for Volunteers. We help people find their lane in this movement. Yeah, I love how she described what she does as intervention. Um, let, let me just say, she may not look, she is one tough cookie, all right? You know jujitsu, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna mess with you, all right. I know there are lots of stories, lots of stories you could share with us um, in this arena, but can you just tell us one story of how Trafficking Justice has made an impact in someone's life? Sure. We got connected with a local survivor of sex trafficking. Um, she was trafficked through the adult film industry. And at one point, she needed to move her entire house in order to get away from this guy who was um, keeping her exploited. So our team 
went over to her house. We packed all of her things and her three kids and got her to a safe place. We connected her with resources and we stayed in touch on her restoration journey. Wow. And that was right. And just, just so everyone's clear, that was right here in the Twin Cities, right? Yeah. Yeah. There are opportunities to get involved. Uh, we know one of the things we, we know about the Super Bowl, it comes down, a lot of good things happen, but there's also the dark side where there's an uptick in human trafficking in any city that hosts a Super Bowl. Um, what are some of the ways that people can get involved here at Hosanna to uh, make a difference in this area? You can join me next Saturday morning on a prayer bus tour. We will be learning more about suburban human trafficking, what it looks like, and we'll be driving to hot spots in the area where it happens and praying over them. That's Saturday morning, um, and do register online for that one. Then next Saturday afternoon, you can join me for packing of dignity bags. These dignity bags contain a few practical items for the victims who law enforcement are rescuing this week for the Super Bowl. You also have the option to join the Justice Awakening Conference. This is a prayer and intercession event that you'll get to join in with, um, and they have some really great training on human trafficking, so check that one out. And I'd also mention that when you give to the big gift before the big game, you are addressing a risk factor for human trafficking by providing food security. It all counts. Mm. And they're related to hunger and human trafficking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Adri, I am so inspired by you, admire what you're doing and how you're championing uh, people or being a champion for people um, in this area. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us um, before you go? This is a really big issue in our neighborhood. Church, let's open our eyes to this and let's bring our light into this darkness. Amen. Would you join me in giving Adri a huge round of applause? Amazing what, uh, I mean, Adri could fill up hours telling us about some of the experiences that she's had and, and just uh, the awareness that she could uh, create for us and she has here at Ozana. And uh, it's inspiring, the stories. But, but here's, I thought a lot about, wrestled and prayed about this and where do I take the message from here? And, and I think where I'm supposed to take it is, is with this, this thought. Hearing stories that are inspiring and and motivational, they're good, they're helpful, they create awareness, uh, it's important. But, but stories in and of themselves, motivational, inspiring uh, stories, gu- even guilt-producing stories, sad stories that kind of move us for a time, they're not enough. They're not, they're not enough. What Adri's doing is, is enough, more than enough. What trafficking justice is doing is enough. We need more people who are doing those things. But, but just stories alone aren't enough to, to keep this from being like the Super Bowl, something that doesn't fade after a few weeks and a few months. You know, guilt doesn't motivate for, for the long haul or, or even inspiration. I, and I know because I've given a lot of messages like, like this. I've told stories, maybe not in that area, but I've told stories about wells in India. Most of you heard my story from my early years of ministry. People are arguing about a copy machine. Who can use the copy machine? And I you know, spoke up as a young pastor. People are literally and spiritually dying out there and we're arguing about who can use a copy machine. And they just went right on arguing about who could use the copy machine. But, 
But the point, you know, those stories, they're, they're helpful. They get us, they get us uh, you know, so far. But, but motivation, see here, God has to change our hearts before he can use us to change the world. He has to change our hearts at a deep, deep level. And in order to do that, it takes more than motivation. It takes more than inspiration. It takes transformation. It takes a transformed heart. If we're gonna be in this for the long haul and carry out this game plan that Jesus has to to change the world, our hearts have to be changed, renovated from the inside out. How does that happen? Two two realizations or or realities that, that we have to come to if we're going to have transformed heart, that transformed heart that that kind of stays in this for the long haul to carry out the game plan, it doesn't in a way that doesn't fade after a few weeks or a few months. Okay, you ready for these? The first reality or realization is this: Listen carefully. We are them. We are them. Who? We are the beggars and the bound and the blind. And the broken. If we are honest and, and humble about who we are and where we are, we all have areas in our lives where we're still bound. We all have areas in our lives where we're still broken and we need to experience healing. We're, we all have blind spots, all of us. There are lots of ways to be blinded, folks, not just physically. I told you I'd share one of my theories for how Jesus slipped out of that crowd. Jesus is God. He, he could just easily have miraculously disappeared close their eyes physically. And maybe that's probably what happened. But isn't it also possible that they were blinded by their disappointment that it's not all about us? You mean it's about them too? They were blinded there? We get blinded by anger and pride and ego and fear. Fear is a big blinder. I've realized in suburbia, there's so much fear. You know, blinds us. And And hear this, listen carefully. We too are beggars. In Romans 3.23, in the Bible, we read that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, that's the great equalizer. The standard, glory of God. The glory of God is the standard. Held to the, it's relative. Held to the standard of the glory of God. We are, we are beggars. Martin Luther, the, the great 16th century reformer, he said, we are all, as, as Christians, Beggars helping other beggars to find bread. Just one beggar helping other beggars to find bread. What does that mean Martin Luther, Luther's telling us to have a low self-esteem? No, he's telling you to have a high esteem of who God is and who we are relative to who God is. And to understand that on our own, we are all simply beggars in need of, dependent upon, absolutely dependent upon the great grace and love and mercy of God in our own lives too. You see it? Beggars. What do you think Jesus means in, in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize that they are, without God, they are just beggars waiting for bread. You know what Jesus says about himself? I am the bread of life. We are just one, one beggar helping other beggars find the bread of life like we found the bread of life. Oh man. Jesus also says, those who have been forgiven little, love little. If we don't realize how much we've been forgiven, as beggars spiritually speak, we will never love with that lasting kind of love that it takes to carry out and compassion that it takes to carry out this game plan. So first, we've got to realize we are, there isn't us and them, there's them. 
and we're, we're them. And then the second realization and reality we have to come to to carry out this game plan is this, the Holy Spirit is upon us. The Holy Spirit is upon us. The, Jesus, the first thing he says, the Holy Spirit is upon me. I have a, I'm anointed to bring this good news to the poor. Right, we, we need, the, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to carry out this game plan, who are we? I mean, we absolutely need the Holy Spirit to carry out this game plan. And the good news is, in John, 1 John 2.20, it says this, you are anointed by the Holy One. You, you, as a believer, as a child, you are anointed by the Holy One. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit's upon us means that, that God's Spirit is superimposing himself onto our lives, that his heart is, it's like a heart transplant. His heart is being put inside of us when we have the Holy Spirit. Our heart of stone goes out and his heart of beat, you know, that beats for them is placed inside of us when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives. The Holy, you know what else? Here's the other cool thing about the Holy Spirit, being anointed in the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, kings and queens were anointed to fulfill their royal duties. So when you know you are anointed by the Holy Spirit, it's like you are being anointed into this royal family. The Bible calls it a royal priesthood. We may be beggars, but this is a rags to riches story, people. Because we are beggars who are anointed and we're invited into a royal family. We are made a part of a royal family where we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. All right? Rags to riches. But we, may we never forget where we came from. Because if we forget where we came from, we, we lose this heart and we start to think there's us and them. No, there's, there's them. And we have been, by the grace and mercy of God, called and anointed to carry out his game plan. And we never forget where the riches come from. They don't come from us, they come from him. It takes an anointing, a miracle upon our lives to carry out this game plan. The Holy Spirit can do miracles. And he's doing a miracle right now. And we are invited to be a part of this game plan, not just spectators cheering them on in the game participating, influencing the outcome, real lives of people who are bound and blind and and in need of bread. Jesus, the bread of life. What What a privilege it is. Even just in this weekend that we've We've designated as a time to give toward two organizations, every dollar of it, to two organizations that are, that are out there living out this game plan, that we are just so privileged to be able to partner with them and give to these organizations like we are now. And so I pray that God would move in our hearts, not just out of guilt or motivation or inspiration, but out of transformation, a transformed heart, knowing what he's done for us and therefore wanting to carry out that very game plan. And as we take this time to, to receive the big give before the big game, uh, the band's gonna play a song for us. And, and this song, it's new maybe to some of you, and it's called Love Has a Name. Love Has a Name. You know what love's name is? Jesus. We are his church. We are love. And so as we, as we hear this song, may your heart be moved. Fix your eyes on the one who has overcome, who has set people free, who has set you free. And may that transform your heart to a place of deep, deep gratitude and compassion. Let me pray for you.
God, thank you that you have come, that on our own without you, we would simply be beggars waiting for bread, but you have come, the bread of life, to feed us, to give us life, life to the full and life eternal with you. You've invited us into a royal priesthood, but Lord, we don't ever wanna forever forget where we've come from. And Lord, it is out of that gratitude, the grace that's come into our lives that we in turn say, yes, we want to live out this game plan too. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are in our lives and in this church. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. What a great message. What a great opportunity that we get to be a part of. Thank you so much for living generously. And I'm just so glad that we get to celebrate uh, what we're a part of, that we are beggars and we're all in this thing together and we are empowering the powerless. So thank you for your generosity. Can you just clap for yourselves one more time again? Thank you. Uh, We recognize that maybe some of you didn't come prepared and that's okay. And maybe you'd like to give. And I just want to briefly mention a couple quick ways that you can do that. We do have some giving kiosks in our atrium. You can also give online. Uh, But then also we have these little envelopes by our multiply boxes at the guest service uh, desks. And you're welcome to give there as well. And uh, we would just love it if you could could give by this coming Wednesday because we want to be able to report back to you next week that number that we were able to be a part of and celebrate that together. Uh, As a reminder, our prayer ministers are coming forward. They would love to pray with you for anything that's going on in your life and, um, and, and they'll do that for you. And then please receive this blessing before you go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.